G'day mate, welcome to episode 69 of the Exponential Performance Podcast, it's so good to have you here. In this week's episode, we are going to start thinking about where you're getting your information from and what does that say about the quality or the potential quality of that information. Nick is going to wrap up his series on mindset and mindfulness and we're also going to have a think about a quick training tip around sticking to your training plan. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Exponential Performance Podcast. Join sports scientist and performance coach Maddie Graham to find out how to train smarter and maximize your performance no matter who you are. G'day mate, welcome to episode 69 of the Exponential Performance Podcast, it's so good to have you here. Nick, how you doing this week mate? I am good, thank you, I'm good. Yourself? I am good, I'm really good actually. Uh, today, I was up at Snow Farm, uh, the cross country skiing area here uh, in the Wanaka area and I bumped into uh, two people, Richard and Robin, who... I used to work with Richard um, when he lived down in Southland and now they live in, in Queenstown. But they were saying, uh, one, that they really liked the podcast. And I said, oh, do you listen to it uh, at bedtime as a bit of a joke to, to help you get to sleep? Uh, <laughs> and they said, no, we actually listen to it at breakfast time. Oh, and yeah. uh, and I said, well, that's ideal because you have plenty of coffee to keep you awake through it. Um, but in all seriousness, uh I really appreciate hearing feedback like that, that one, people are listening to it. Um, and interesting to interesting to know where people are listening to it as well or when they're listening to it. Mm. So it's hopefully, Richard and Robin, if you're listening to this, I hope breakfast is going well and you've got a good day ahead of you. Um, but for everyone else out there as well, let us know where and when do you listen to the podcast. Post a wee note on whatever platform you're listening to because um, it is always interesting. I know some people listen to it when they're out training, uh, whether it be on their long sessions, um, often a good time to listen to podcasts. A lot of people listening to it when they're commuting. Um, and I've also had some messages about people listening to it when they're just sort of hanging out around the house. Uh, maybe it's cleaning, maybe it's just relaxing on the couch. Um, I hear people do that. Not much of an expert in that area myself at the moment. Always plenty to do. But in the interest of time, we're going to press on and we're going to jump straight into it. This week, I am going to be digging into the concept of the hierarchy of information. There's so much information out there in this day and age. And I kind of, this is a, a concept that I was introduced when I was at university, when I was studying. And it's something I think even more now is kind of really important, not just for those people doing academic research, but when you see something online, just having to think to yourself, where's this information come from? Where's this information come from? Because all information is not created equal. So if you can imagine a, a pyramid, uh, kind of like the old-fashioned food pyramid, really big base, 
pointy top at the top. Everyone knows what a pyramid looks like. I'm not sure why I'm describing this. But if you can imagine, down the bottom of the pyramid, this is information that hasn't really been censored at all. It's just people's opinions, you know, and that could be from chatting with your mates at training or during training, after training. Um, everyone's always keen to give each other pieces of advice and tips, um, and no doubt you've been bombarded with some of those. Those are pro kind of this low level of information, these sort of people's opinions. Podcasts are another one that's right down the bottom here. Anybody can start a podcast and just start saying whatever they like. Um, obviously, some podcasts, uh, ours in particular, um, we try and have informed opinions about things and try and use and get our information from higher up the food chain, if you like, but then deliver it down here on this platform. Um, YouTube videos, another classic. Anyone can jump on YouTube, say what they like. Um, opinions, opinion pieces and articles online as well. Again, don't have any censorship around them. So it's all about the responsibility of the person producing them to make sure what they're saying is actually accurate um, because you, there's no, no control around it at all. And the other thing that kind of really struck me at university was books. Like a book is right down the bottom. And I often think, because I've got a, quite an extensive library of training books, but anyone essentially, and even these days even more, can publish a book. It used to be a little bit harder with publishers and you know people wanting to make sure that you, the information that you're putting out is good. But now anyone can sort of write a document, chuck it in a PDF and chuck it online as an ebook. And just because it's written down in a book doesn't actually mean that it's true, believe it or not. Lots of books out there have got lots of things in them that aren't exactly true. Or maybe not true, but the best advice or evidence that you could have. So this is that bottom run of the pyramid. If we take a step up from this and... I kind of want to make this a little bit more simple and, and have it as a kind of a practical, user-friendly thing without getting too much into the details about different types of um, research studies and, and how studies are designed. But the next step up on this would be textbooks. If you can imagine, textbooks are a whole bunch of information brought together by an editor and there are always links back to the original research in textbooks. Okay, so textbooks would be the next level up. If you're looking through a textbook, it's gonna be pretty solid information in there because you can't just go and write a textbook. People check it, make sure that they're happy with that information. Other experts come in and check that as well. So textbooks is that, is that next level up. The thing with textbooks though is because they take so long to produce, often some of the information in them can be quite outdated by the time that you get around to reading it. So it's not quite as good as the next couple of levels up. Now the next level up is uh, around case studies and cohort studies. And these are actually in two different levels if you look at an actual hierarchy of uh, evidence pyramid, but I just wanted to sort of group them together. But this is kind of looking at uh, a group of people or uh, maybe even one person if it's a smaller case study and then drawing some conclusions or getting some ideas from them. It's not actually conducting a specific research 
uh, study on them. It's not about actually conducting an experiment on these people. It's about observing what happens to them over time uh, or taking, let's say, the type of training that they've done and then what came out of that in terms of results. It's not about saying, here, you're going to do this training or you're going to take this supplement and then we're going to see what happens. So that would be the next level. The level above that is about randomized control trials. And this is where is sort of like when it comes to research, this is a, the gold standard. We take two random groups and then we apply to these groups whatever we're testing, whether it be a supplement, whether it be a training regime, whatever it might be. These two groups, they go about doing it and then we get the results. We test them and then we retest them at the end, see if anything has changed. Now, that's not actually the top of the pyramid because a one-off randomized controlled trial tells us some information about that select group of people that we used. The level above that is what's called a meta-analysis. And a meta-analysis, what that does is looks at one specific uh, subject. Let's say it is endurance training using high-intensity interval training. A meta-analysis meta would take all of the randomized controlled trials that looked at endurance training using high-intensity interval training and then collate all of those results together and then make some uh, sort of assumptions or conclusions based on all of those studies, not just a one-off study. And you'd no doubt you've been in the, in the scenario where you read something online about uh, eggs are bad for your heart. And then something a couple of weeks later, eggs are good for your heart. And then something else comes out a little bit later, this causes cancer. And then a few months later, this doesn't cause cancer. Because within a randomized control study, you can get different results. But when you put them all together in a meta-analysis, it summates all of that information together and takes the averages of the averages, if you like. So we're looking at a much bigger, broader picture. And so a meta-analysis is that top level of information. So what does this all mean? Well, when you're scrolling through Instagram and something pops up that looks kind of interesting about this is the new way of training, just have a think. Where did this information actually come from? Is there a reference to a randomized controlled trial that showed this? Or is it just someone's opinion based on, on what they think might be quite good today? Or if it's a supplement that someone's promoting, is there a link for this, let's say, protein powder to be better than other protein powders or this new supplement to be better than this old supplement? Is there any link to a randomized controlled study or better yet, a meta-analysis about this? Or is this just somebody that is potentially being paid to endorse this said thing. So the key thing I want to get across in this in the, is the idea that not all information is created equally and be aware of what you are 
consuming and then basing your training off and nutrition off. I know a lot of people will instantly jump on the bandwagon if uh, an elite athlete promotes a new thing that they're taking, a new supplement potentially. The biggest thing is that nine times out of ten, those endurance athletes have been given it, you know, first of all, and then potentially even getting paid to promote said thing. So there's a lot of bias in what they're actually saying. Is there research on this thing? Then if there is, go back and look at the research directly or reach out to Nick or I because what we can do is then we can go and have a look at the research. Because often people consume information down at that bottom level because it's quite accessible. It's easy to read. People put it into sort of normal language. Whereas up at that top level when you're looking at meta-analysis and a randomized control trials, they're talking in that science language, which can sometimes be quite confusing to understand or what is the, even the bloody point of what everybody's saying. So just have a think about where you're getting your information from. If you're listening to podcasts, you know, if we mention anything on the podcast and we're talking about a research paper or a meta-analysis about, uh, you know, a bunch of different subjects, we will usually put a link to that that you can go and check it out. We also talk a lot about our um, sort of personal experiences and our professional experiences working with other athletes as well. Um, and, and that's where I guess the the science of training meets the art of training as well. That blend of taking that theoretical uh, research-based evidence and then applying it in the real world uh, to different people as well. So. Where are you getting your information from? Be aware of it, number one, and dig a little bit deeper because sometimes when you do scratch the surface, uh, you'll be interested to know what is down there. Nick, any thoughts on that sort of hierarchy of information? Uh, no, I think you <clears throat> explained it quite nicely there. It's, it's a, such a, a tricky topic for people to kind of grasp I think, um, and you know, like I said, there's so much thrown at you in social media, and sometimes they're linking to a, a research article, um, and it might be, you know, like you said, eggs are the best thing in the world, um, and it's one study with ten people involved, um, and it was done really poorly, but all of a sudden the the media out there about it is eggs are the best thing in the world. Um, now that's just a random topic. Obviously, eggs are the best thing in the world, uh, but. <laughs> It's, it's really confusing for, for everybody to pick up on that. So those sort of Cochrane reviews and those meta-analyses at the top level there um, are certainly the, the gold standard um, and are really easy to kind of surmise when you have access to them and, and so forth. And that's probably the hardest thing to us is getting access to, mm. um, to some of that research. Um, so like Maddie said, there's, you know, we have access to some of that stuff. So if there are particular topics more than happy to, to delve into them for you and, and pull up some, some papers. Absolutely. And I guess another thing is is that uh, why are meta-analyses and uh, randomised controlled you know, trials that are published in uh, research journals, why are they better than anything else? And I didn't really dig into it much, but it's because they get reviewed by many other experts out there. 
and you know all of those other things at the bottom that I mentioned podcasts books people's opinions Instagram stories Instagram posts they don't have any review at all whereas if you submit a research article to a journal then that gets sent off to at least two people two other experts in that area to read through it and to and they then challenge what you've written do they agree with it uh, are there any flaws in, in how the research was conducted? And, for example, the research paper that I put out um, from my master's research, it took over a couple of years before it all sort of came back and got ticked off, mainly because I was quite slow at getting things done. Um, but it just gets it gets ripped to pieces and, and only the, the good, solid research stands up. Obviously, there is some stuff that slips into there and different journals have sort of different criteria about what they accept and, and the type type of research that gets published in them. But yeah, thinking about who has said that this was good. Is it one person? Is it two people? Is you know Has it had to go on through a bit of a panel before it was accepted? Think about uh, that, that aspect of it as well. Done. We're going to jump into the final segment of Nick's series around mindset. Uh, and today, Nick is going to be digging into mindset and mindfulness. Nick, over to you. Cool. Well, <clears throat> mindfulness is a a term given to a whole raft of different things that are all based around decreasing stress and increasing our mental health. So it's probably not surprising that I would suggest every listener listening to this because you're in the concept of reaching out and listening to podcasts and so forth that you've come across mindfulness at some point in your uh, sort of podcasting journeys or your internet reading because um, at the moment it is certainly one of the hottest topics around. Um, but the definition of mindfulness is simply paying attention, um, but that is being defined further as the practice of paying attention on purpose in the present moment and non-judgmentally. And so that's being defined by um, a guy by the name of John Kabat-Zinn, and he was essentially the creator of, of mindfulness-based stress reductions, or MS, MBSR, which is a sort of an actual technique that is used by practitioners um, to treat patients, um, but also used by millions of people by themselves out in the, the world to reduce stress. Um, and we have kind of looked briefly in the past about what stress is doing for the body in terms of increasing cortisol, uh, infecting our, uh, sorry, aff affecting our heart rates and uh, our uh, sugar consumption and so forth. So I won't delve too much into the actual impact of stress on the body, but more around what this mindfulness is and how we can actually start to do some of it uh, as simple as this afternoon or this morning, if you're Maddie's friends. But the key word that I used before is, is practice. Um, so Zinn suggests that with mindfulness, there's there's no end goal. Um, you know, we, we set ourselves goals uh, back in the second series of this podcast, I think it was, around a race. With mindfulness, we're not actually striving to achieve an end goal of, right, okay, I've, I've done 30 minutes. Um, it's a constant practice. Uh, but however, with this constant practice of paying attention and being present, 
uh, to what is there, whatever is happening at the moment. Uh, so we're basically right in that bubble of whatever we're doing right this second. And so it's interesting when Matty was talking earlier about people listening to podcasts and training. Um, I'm a big podcast listener when I'm driving for work, and I find sometimes I get to the end of the podcast, I'm like, actually, I don't remember half of that stuff in the, in the start of it because I wasn't paying full attention to the podcast. I was paying attention to the road, which I probably should be doing. So I've always struggled to listen to podcasts, especially while I'm training. But that whole concept of listening to them in bed, I think, is a really cool option, or sitting down with your morning coffee, just actually really focusing on what you're listening to, um, if it's a, a topic that you're keen on. But the definition that is given around this this practice of paying attention kind of helps break down the the notion that mindfulness is is only for those that are meditating or the you know yogis um, or they want to become a Buddhist monk. So it's really a, a, a practice that anybody can can use, um, and it is simply as you know focusing on a breath, one breath, um, then you focus on two breaths and and three and so forth. Um, and that's really the, the simplest way to get started. Um, but I will touch on some of those other methods shortly as to, to how to go from there. But probably the biggest question I get asked when I'm talking to people around mindfulness is why why be mindful? Um, now, coincidentally, we've just been talking about clinical trials, but there are over 2,000 clinical trials uh, in the world around mindfulness and the benefits of are massive and simply we're you know talking about reducing stress reducing depressed feelings um, helping to increase happiness uh, it's also been proven to help increase uh, or boost our immune system which is kind of a strange thought for some people to think that this this process of focusing on my my, my breaths for for 10 counts maybe can boost my immune system um, and that's all around that reducing the effects of stress on on our gut so again, as we, we know, stress will decrease the amount of blood flow to our gut and therefore our digestion is not as optimal. So we're missing out on some of those key vitamins and nutrients that we could get. So if we can make sure our gut is functioning nice and properly by reducing the stress, by simply focusing on some of our, our breaths or, or a situation we're in, um, then that whole picture can start to build up around increasing our um, immune health as well. One of the biggest benefits uh, that mindfulness techniques can provide is an increase in sleep quality. Now, those that have trouble sleeping can use mindfulness to help them get to sleep easier, but also to help stay in a deeper sleep. And as we know from previous podcasts, the benefits of a good night's sleep for, for athletes is massive. So if you couple getting a much better sleep with maybe a reduction in that sort of pre-race nerves that might be going on, um, the fact that we might be able to reduce our heart rate a little bit in the middle of an event because we're not letting ourselves get so stressed, we're just taking a minute within, uh, whether it be a triathlon, you know, you're in, a, in the middle of a 90k bike ride and you're, you're cruising along on your aero bars and you're just able to take yourself out of that situation and just focus on, on breathing for 20 seconds or 10 seconds, that can just bring the heart rate down and, and kind of calm ourselves um, and while we're physically active. So. All of that starts to have a, a big impact on our body and our performance. Um, people, I guess, just on, on that, do talk around things like mindful eating. Um, and that's probably a, a big thing for athletes, especially with pre-race meals, whether it be the morning of or the day of. 
um, that if we are more mindful when we're eating, so we're sitting down at a table working through our food as opposed to sitting there watching TV on our phone trying to talk to someone and doing five different other things, then we can really help to be a little bit more focused um, and allow our digestion to work properly um, and therefore we're going to have a better race day because we've eaten better the day before. However, outside of sport, uh, mindfulness can help to make our lives better and more enjoyable. Um, you know, if we're less stressed, then we're going to have better relationships. We're going to send out more positive vibes to those around us. And it enables us to kind of stay in control of our emotions um, and our actions. If we think back to the first episode in the series, that we are choosing what actions we make. And therefore, no one's choosing them for us. So if we employ the method of mindfulness where we're in a situation, we have to pick, uh, you know, normally we just sort of jump to the first thing that comes to mind. If we can take ourselves out for one or two breaths and then go forward with a, a really nice, concise um, decision that we've made, um, generally that decision's a, a, a lot better off than if we just rashly made a, a snap decision. Um, so I could go on and we could keep talking about these benefits for, for the whole entire podcast and probably the next two or three to go, but a few of the ways to actually start getting into mindfulness. Now, I've listened to a few podcasts that, that go through this process and they get people to sit down and shut their eyes and, and go through it right now, but if you're out there training, driving to work, and that doesn't really work so well. So I'm just going to quickly step through a couple of methods that you can then use when you get a chance to sit down. You're not listening to the podcast, but you can do it in your own time. So you, you really want to sort of sit down and be nice and relaxed. Don't lie down, just sit down in a nice comfy chair. Um, because the whole process is not actually to go to sleep. Uh, often you find that people lie down and they, they get into a, a very relaxed state, they go to sleep. Not a bad thing if you need to go to sleep, but if you're practicing this during the day, you, you kind of want to stay conscious uh, and not drift off to sleep. So just sitting in that nice, quiet space, you know, close your eyes, and then start to focus on the breath. So think about the actual act of breathing in, holding it for a few counts and breathing out. And then carry on for the next one, focus on the breathing in, holding it for a few counts and breathing out. And you want to focus on where you can feel that breath going. Can you feel it in filling up your lungs? Maybe it's filling up your legs. You can feel a real sensation in your legs. Now, it won't be that surprising if maybe one or two breaths in, you find yourself thinking about what you're going to be doing later that day. And that's completely fine. That's the natural mind starting to do its job and, and wander around the place. But just bring it back to focusing on your breath. Every time you feel it drift away, just bring it back, focus on a couple of breaths, and try and aim for another two breaths out the other side. And it doesn't have to be done for very long. You might do that for, for a couple of minutes to start with, just practicing pulling the mind back onto your breath and then let it drift away. Um, now, there are a whole bunch of... Um, guided meditation apps, which is kind of what we're looking at here. Um, and they're great ways to start uh, getting into mindfulness. So a few that I've used are Headspace, Calm, uh, and Insight Timer. Now Headspace and Calm are probably the most simplest to start off with. Insight Timer is a free one, but you do have to do a little bit of more digging to find some, some, some sessions. So I'd suggest that maybe start with the Headspace and Calm and do some free sessions on them. Uh, and then maybe move over to the Insight Timer. But there are heaps of others out there. So 
have a listen, a look around, and then you're gonna you'll find one that kind of find feels right for you. And sometimes it can be as simple as the the guy's voice. Uh, you know, I would hate to think that anyone would find my voice calm enough to to listen to for mindfulness. But the what the guy on Headspace for me, I find is just he's right on point with the way he presents it and the way he talks to you. So you can actually listen but be relaxed as well. Um, but the guided meditation isn't the only option. Um, I just find it the the best place to start in terms of keeping your focus and attention on one thing. Um, however, other options, uh, you know, like the, the adult coloring in books that became quite popular a while back, uh, are a possibility. Walking in green spaces, um, patting, you know, patting a dog or, or another sort of loved animal, journaling, uh, writing in a, a gratitude journal, and, and so forth. Anything that's basically keeping you focused on one thing and you're giving it your full attention um, and allowing basically your mind to kind of switch off from your, your 50 to-do lists on your task, um, the guy that almost hit you when you're riding home or, or whatever it might be. Um, most often these activities are solo, so they're done by ourselves. Um, and that's largely because when you're with someone else, whether it, even it be in an engaging conversation, there is always that moment that your mind's sort of slipping away um, or you're focusing on that person, which means you're not focusing sort of on that inward um, component. But that's not to say that you might find that a really engaging conversation or, or bringing someone along on that green space walk or um, hanging out with your pets um, to be a really mindfulness activity. So I'm certainly not here to say that you can't. But so the practice of mindfulness can be, you know, as little as two breaths a day to start. You might do that while you wait for your morning coffee to boil, sit down at the the kitchen table and just have a couple of minutes um, or it could be a 10 minute break at lunch when you're, you're listening to one of these guided meditation sessions um, or you after work you go and sit in your, your local gardens and, and just have a moment or two of calmness in your day. Um, different approaches are going to work for different people but also different approaches are going to work for different times for yourself. Um, different situations will warrant different uh, different approaches and multiple approaches throughout the day are fine too. So you might have a whole raft of different options that you can call on that you know can just give you a little bit of, of calmness in life. Um, the best form is simply going to be the one that you're going to use and the one that you're going to feel comfy doing. Um, I know a lot of people I talk to don't really feel that comfortable putting headphones in and kind of going through one of these guided meditation apps. They find it to be just not quite something they can grasp. But if they can do a couple of minutes by themselves, then maybe over time they build up to being able to listen to one of these sessions and, and getting into it. So we're all, it's all about trying to essentially sort of switch the mind off from that noise of the day and just focus on ourselves, focus inwardly and be calm. Um, and it's, a, it's a really amazing what it can do once you get into a process and, and get comfortable doing it. Uh, the 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 changes that it's been able to help with me have been fantastic. Um, and everybody, again, that I talk to that's gone on a bit of a mindfulness journey um, can't talk highly enough of it in terms of giving them some peace um, and helping them be a little bit more happier and, and kind of relaxed in life. So I'd certainly love to know what techniques people are using. Uh, and if you're just about to start out, you've been listening to some of this and think, actually, this could be a bit of me. Um, let me know how you're getting on and reach out if you need some help or some extra resources um, and we can try and build a, a few options uh, to help you out. Do you practice mindfulness, Mr. Graham? I'm very mindful of uh, what I do. Um, 
I, I always find it interesting <clears throat> and uh, like med- meditation, like I really don't like the word meditation. It's kind of seems a little bit airy fairy to me and uh, it comes with a lot of uh, a lot of things attached to it. Like if yep. you meditate, uh, you, you're, you know, one of these types of people. Um, and I, I wrote about it in the Performance Temple Psychology Handbook. Uh, around in the in the harden up section around developing focused breathing because when you sort of start to strip away everything around uh, meditation the the thing underlying it primarily is this this control of your breath mm-hmm. and the thing I really like about it um, and the sort of way I connect with it is because I'm kind of like a science nerd I want to know kind of why why does this help you yeah. and you know, when you look into it, you know, when you breathe in, your heart rate increases slightly. And when you breathe out or exhale, uh, your heart rate decreases. And this is because there's a direct link between your breathing and your heart rate. Um, it's called the respiratory sinus arrhythmia. And so it's all to do with the vagus nerve that controls um, your heart rate. <clears throat> Uh, and the vagus nerves is our parasympathetic nervous system. So when we put focus on our breathing, especially the breathing out, we're actually able to control our heart rate. And like you mentioned, Nick, this here is an extremely useful and powerful tool to have. You know, being able to do something consciously that changes your physiology is, is super helpful. And I think one of the biggest things for an athlete who has a regular sort of focused breathing or mindfulness practice is that they develop the skill to control their physiology, control how they're feeling. So that when you get to race morning and you're nervous or, you know, you're about to dive in the lake to start an Ironman and you start to hyperventilate uh, or, you know, something's going wrong um, and you're starting to get really wound up and um, frustrated by it, might, might be a flat tire out on in a race or whatever it might be, then you know exactly how to get control of the situation in terms of controlling your physiology to bring your heart rate down. As soon as you do that, it improves your ability to concentrate on the task at hand. If it's the first time you're trying to control your breathing is in the heat of battle, so to speak, uh, on race day, then there's no way it's going to happen. But if you've been there 400 times before because you've done, you know, a couple of minutes of focused breathing or mindfulness in the lead up to the event, then it's just that default setting. Oh, this is what I do. I, I can get control of my heart rate, heart rate in three to four breaths. Um, and so I think that's where the real power of it as well, looking at it from strictly a performance mm. um, and performance standpoint. So, that's what. That's how I tackled it. Is because I always thought it was a bit weird, to be honest. And um, but I focused on. I'm not sitting down to meditate. I'm sitting down to work on my breathing uh, and can control my physiology. Because if I can control my heart rate, if I can control uh, the stress hormones circulating around my body simply by breathing, like, that there's a superpower that I want to have. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No. Totally. Totally agree. And it's unfortunate that the, the term guided meditation has kind of been the one that's stuck because, the, like you said, meditation does have a, a connotation of sitting down, you know, 
uh, like a Buddhist monk, essentially. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, you're there, you're, you're not talking, you're cross-legged, um, and you're just being very peaceful. Um, yep. Now, it's the guided meditation is nothing like that. Um, for starters, I can't even cross my legs, so I, I certainly don't sit down and practice my, my guided meditation, but you can. You can sit down however you want. You could sit down with your legs out, sit in a chair, um, and it's a bit probably more guided, focused breathing would probably be a, a much uh, more direct title, um, but it's not mm. quite as, as, as sort of sexy for them to sell. As oh, absolutely. And I like, I mean, the um, headspace is a great one to start with as well because mm. it's not sort of woo-woo either. It's that science basis. Um, yeah. And, I mean, you know, the 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 benefits are so wide-reaching, you know, like a lot of um, special operation military units are using it, training their soldiers in it, you know. Yeah. Um, so if it's good enough for the Navy SEALs and the SAS yeah. to do some focused breathing, it's probably good enough for you guys as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like you said, Headspace is, is a really, really sort of gentle introduction um, and based mm. around science. And and the science is evident that it reduces stress. Mm. Um, in a modern day world where we are full of stress, um, it's such a fantastic option. Um, the only little red flag I'd raise is when you're being or doing one of these sessions on your, you're on your phone generally because that's where the app is. Um, I cannot stress highly enough to download some sessions and then flick your phone onto flight mode when you're doing one. Um, not too long after I started, I was doing one and my phone rung at the same time. So I had my headphones on listening to the session and my phone rung and I swear my heart rate would have gone through the roof like I was maxed <laughs> out. That I got such a fright. Um, but also the process of trying to switch off. You don't want to be distracted by the phone vibrating because you've got a message coming through or whatever. So download some sessions, switch it onto flight mode and have a go. And see how you find it. Awesome. And we'll put some of those links uh, in the show notes over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash 69 for episode 69. Cool. So I guess that kind of brings us to the end of this series um, where we have delved through quite a lot of kind of mental, I guess, tools to to help keep ourselves positive and and focused on the task at hand, whether it be the, the positive thinking um, changing the way we're viewing situations to put ourselves in a better position, um, mm. reflecting on our our goals that we're setting um, based on a certain set criteria. So we're setting ourselves with these goals that are, are potentially achievable, um, and then we're reviewing them um, as often as we can. Um, and then mindfulness kind of slips in, I guess, amongst it all. Um, you know, it's going to help keep us in a positive mindset. It can help us achieve our goals better, um, and it can kind of form part of that review um, reflection process really so i hope you've enjoyed it fantastic yeah give us uh give us your feedback on it and let us hear like nick said if you are trying any of these things out let us know how you're finding them brilliant we're going to crack into our training plan sneak peek for this episode uh, and today we're going to be looking at the ride strong strength training plan for cyclists So this training plan sneak peek is something that we like to do on each episode just to give you a bit of an insight into some of the training plans that we offer. <clears throat> that we offer. Um, these training plans are a great way of getting some more structure around your training 
a little bit of a scientifically backed uh, method of training without the price tag that comes with the sort of personalized programs that Nick and I offer. So today we're going to be looking at the Ride Strong program and the Ride Strong program is all about uh, strength training for cyclists and cyclists uh, being quite a vague term there, anyone that rides a bike, whether you be a road cyclist, uh, a time trialist, a mountain biker, uh, a track cyclist, this here all comes uh, in under this. So this plan is designed for all types of cyclists and specifically I put it together because I noticed that many cyclists struggle with gym training. Many of them strictly avoid it because they fear that they're going to bulk up uh, or they're going to lose aerobic fitness or they simply don't know what to do in the gym. And so most cyclists out there will have dabbled in a little bit of core work um, or, you know, use the gym on a, you know, bad weather day either to, you know, ride a bike or, or do a couple of leg presses or whatever it might be. But what I find is that they're not utilizing their strength training well enough. So strength training can improve cycling in two ways, both directly and indirectly. And we've talked about this uh, in previous podcast episodes around strength training. But direct performance improvements are all about training the muscle's ability to contract more forcefully, to produce more force and produce more power. Indirectly, you can improve performance because your body and your structures in your bodies, your tendons, your ligaments, your muscles become more robust and more structurally sound so you can undergo more training load on the bike without getting those little niggly injuries. So Ride Strong steps you through everything of about the why behind your training and the how and specifically how to do it and then exactly what to do. So there's six comprehensive, easy-to-follow plans. They give you step-by-step instruction uh, to choose the appropriate strength training, uh, and you can get into the gym with the confidence that you're you know, doing the best thing possible. So if you have been thinking about doing strength training um, and you're a cyclist or you ride a bike in some capacity, then head over to exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash ridestrong uh, and get a free inside look at the Ride Strong plan as well. So that's our training plan sneak peek for this week. Now we're going to jump into the quick training tip with Nick. So this week's quick tip uh, is around sticking to the training plan so what i find is people can stick to a training plan for a few weeks and then all of a sudden you haven't trained with your buddies for a couple of weeks and you just you end up blowing a week because you go training with your buddies and you just want to have some fun but if you're actually more prepared and more planned to have some fun sessions scattered in there and you talk to your coach or you put them in your own plan then you're less likely to kind of break out and waste a good couple of weeks of training. So great example would be, you know, your, your mate rings up and says, hey, I'm going to go off and do this run or this ride. Do you want to come with me? And you look at your plan and it's, you know, he wants to do five hours, you're supposed to do one, but you go with him, you blow yourself out of the water, and then you can't do the next week's training. If you kind of prepared yourself 
out from it and you say, hey, look, you know, to your group of mates, I've got a couple of spaces coming up in the next week. Shall we organize a group run somewhere? So everyone can kind of plan around it. Um, you might be able to speak to your coach or shuffle your, your week sessions around a couple of weeks out or the week before. Um, then you can still have those fun sessions, still have the social sessions, um, but you're actually still getting the work done throughout the week. Um, so what that looks like for me uh, is there's a group of guys we ride on a Friday morning. Um, it's an hour. It's a bit of a fun blast around the, the town here. Um, sometimes it's harder than others, depending on where we go. But you know it's an hour, um, and everyone turns up, and they just have a bit of fun. Um, and then throughout the week, sort of doing more of your own stuff um, and not getting distracted by the noise of people wanting to do different sessions based on what they're up to in their calendar. So if you can kind of fit some stuff in there, and kind of pre-plan your fun sessions, um, then you're going to have more chance of, of sticking to the goal, uh, sticking to the plan, sorry, and achieving that goal down the track. Perfect. And okay. I think, um, yeah, that that discipline around uh, your sort of training intensity discipline is a, is a key one, isn't it? And I, it's it's really funny because. When I used to work for Bike NZ, who's now cycling New Zealand, I was working down in Invercargill with you know uh, Olympic level track cyclists, and they were going to go out and do a recovery ride, and I thought, and we were, they were going to ride to a cafe and, and have something there, and the van was going to come and pick them up, so I didn't have anything to do for that day, so I, I sussed out a bike and jumped on, and you know I was going to go and hang on with the uh, the Olympic uh, you know track cycling team. And I was blown away at how slow they went. And I was, I got told to slow down. Not because I was, you know, super fast, but they, when they have a easy recovery session to do, that's what they're doing. You know, they don't care if someone's half-wheeling them. Uh, they'll let them go. You know, they're happy for someone to ride past them because they know that this is a recovery session. Uh, and likewise, when it's a when it's a hard session, it's on. It's yeah. it is absolutely on. So having that discipline around what you're doing, why you're doing it, and having to think around that. And I really like that idea of planning in those uh, those social sessions, so to speak, um, rather than just letting them pop up and, and jump in there. Because yeah, the old classic one hour session turning into a five hour smash fest with your mates is yeah. all too common, isn't it? It is. And, you know, it's just as easy as saying, you know, you might be going out for a couple of hours biking or running and say, hey, guys, I, I need to keep my intensity back a little bit. Um, if you want to go ahead, that's cool. I'll meet you at the top of the hill or, you know, we'll regroup here and, and so forth. And, and most people that you train with, especially if they, you know, your, your buddies don't don't mind. Um, mm. They're in their own mind thinking, oh, phew, you know, I'd, I need to keep myself at this level this week, but I didn't want to say anything. Um, yeah, so. yeah. Just, yeah, communicating with your, your friends can really help increase the enjoyment component of a training plan. Absolutely. Well, that's the uh, quite long, quick tip for this week. Sorry about uh, jumping in there, Nick, and adding my two cents. All right, team, that's all we've got for you for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. And if you'd like to help shape the direction of the podcast, please send us through any questions or topics you'd like to see us dig into either via voice message over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash ask. Uh, you can send through a voice message over there. They've been a little bit slow lately, so let's get some voice questions in so you don't have to listen to Nick and I drone on and on. And 
if you don't want to send in a voice question because you don't want to hear yourself broadcast across the airways of the interwebs, then you can head over and send us a message either on the website, through email, Facebook or Instagram, and we will do our best to answer those questions on the podcast or talk around those uh, topics that you're interested in. For all the resources that we mentioned in today's episode, check out the show notes over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash 69 for episode 69. Make sure you don't miss out on any of the upcoming episodes by subscribing over on YouTube or over on SoundCloud or whatever podcasting platform you are listening on. If you want to come over and join the conversation over at the Exponential Performance Facebook page, that would be awesome. Or come and find us over on Instagram. I'm at Matty EPC and Nick is at it's underscore r underscore Nick's underscore life. Until next time, get out there and train hard, but most importantly, train smart. We'll talk to you later. Mate, thanks for listening. If you would like to support this podcast and see it continue into the future, you can do so in a number of ways. Firstly, make sure you subscribe to this channel on whatever platform you are listening. Like and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word. If you're feeling really generous, head over and leave a review and a rating over on iTunes. This helps spread the word and develop the podcast. All of this will help the podcast continue long into the future so we can keep bringing you the information you need to train hard, but most importantly, train smart.